The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on the lead pastor of the Journey Church and Knowing Jesus Ministries, and this is Eric Reed. Welcome to the show, man. Zuby, thanks for having me, man. Awesome, Eric. I've done a very brief intro right there, but please tell people a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Yep. So I'm lead pastor of the church, like you mentioned, uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, Born and raised in that area, other than the brief stint I had in the Army when I was away. Uh, father of three, uh, one who is no longer with us, two daughters, and um, yeah, just uh, super engaged in trying to help Christians and um, individuals stay in the truth, walk in the truth in a world that's uh, pretty chaotic and um, unstable right now. Tell me a little bit about your background. How did you, where did you grow up and how did you get into this field of work? Yeah, so I didn't grow up going to church. I wasn't um, a Christian. Um, my parents didn't go to church. Uh, I grew up around it, but not in it. And so um, I graduated high school, uh, went into the army, loved the army. Uh, but the girl I was dating, who's now my wife, um, ca- came to faith. She was back home. Um, her coming to faith kind of made me examine some things. I started uh, going to church with her. And before you know it, I found myself um, now in all in on the things that I had grown up around, but never really embraced. And so um, went from there. And a couple of years later, I was really more desirous to help others to see it. Uh, that was really the passion. I didn't think I'd be a pastor, like mm-hmm. ever think I'd be a pastor. But my desire was I just want to help other people to see this. Like I felt like I grew up around it, but was blonde. So a real passion of mine was I just want people to see this rightly. If you want to reject it, reject what reject the real thing right? Reject the actual truth. Don't reject a caricature. And so that's what drove me to getting in ministry and ultimately planning a church. So I planned that church that I'm at now 16 years ago. Amazing. 
man, there's so much to get into there. Uh, tell me a little bit about your time in the in the military. Yeah, so I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I jumped out of airplanes. I was in the famed 82nd Airborne Division. So uh, I got paid a whopping $150 a month extra to jump out of airplanes. And I thought, man, I am banking. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> They're paying me to do this. This is awesome. Um, my job was uh, a Cav Scout. So our job was to jump um, in, scout enemies, um, locate enemies and report back so that tankers, infantry and others can make their way in. So um, I, I loved it. I loved my time in the army. I was best friends with guys from all over the country. Um, it was an amazing thing uh, to be a part of. Uh, if it wasn't for the Lord really changing my desires to have a family, to marry, to settle down, to have kids, um, I, I think I would have been a full full career guy. The irony of that is I would just be retiring, you know, a couple years ago. And I don't know if I'd reenlist in the army uh, and, and the, I see today and in the country we're living in today. I would struggle with that. Mm. Um, but I, when I was in, it was it was some of the best years of my life. I really enjoyed it. Tell expand on that point a little bit about how, why you'd struggle to rejoin the army at this point. Well, I think the political correctness that we now see just pervading um, even the army, you know, the one thing that you would hope is that our military um, would, you know, would be free of some of the things we see socially and politically and culturally, that it would be focused on its mission, right? Its job and understand the stakes are sky high. You can't afford to play games with, um, you know, is, is a boy or a girl or is a girl a boy? Um, we need objective reality because these missions will cause people their lives. And I, I, I find that what we're seeing with our military in every branch is this lowering of standards, um, this blurring of lines. And I think as a result of that, we're weakening our country. Um, we've not been put to the test on that in, in a while, but I do think that we are in a weaker position because of, I think, the values now, culturally speaking, that are really eroding away what makes us strong. Mm -hmm. And what are those? Well, I think commitment to objective reality is a good start. Um, <laughs> I think I think the the acknowledgement that there is truth, um, I think acknowledgement like, you know, things like men are stronger than women, um, you know, in combat, there are real dangers. Uh, men will fall. Uh, other men might have to pick them up and carry them out of battle. Um, when we're talking about these objective things, um, we're dealing with realities of life and death. And so when we pretend as if we can't say men on the average are stronger than women. If that's controversial, then we're playing games. Um, if that's controversial, we're denying reality. That doesn't mean every man is stronger than every woman. Um, I'm sure we can find some strong women who can outlift, you know, all of us. But but on the on the whole, women are not as strong. They're not as fast. Um, there's not as much endurance. And so when you couple all of that together, um, and you pretend that doesn't exist, we're, actu we're actually not putting our military and our soldiers in the best position, and we're putting lives in danger. And, and honest to goodness, I still think, you know, it may sound old-fashioned, but I don't think men and women in our country are ready to see women um, carried out in body bags from combat. Uh, no matter how much equality we want to, to say that there is, uh, no matter how much blurring of the lines, we want to pretend men and women are the same, they're no different, I don't think Americans are ready for their daughters to come back in body bags because they were shot up in combat. I'm not convinced that's reality. 
I, I hear that. And I think any honest person agrees with you. I think something very weird that's going on in Western society and a lot of it is starting and stemming in the USA, but it's getting exported to other Anglo countries in particular is society wants us to simultaneously believe things that are completely contradictory, depending right. on what's happening at the moment. So using this example you just brought up, we are supposed to simultaneously believe that men and women are different. And by the way, men inherently oppress women. There's this thing called the patriarchy and, you know, there's yep. this, there's this core difference and that's what at least old school traditional feminine feminism is, is based on that. There's these that's differences right. and they need to be addressed. Simultaneously, we're supposed to believe that men and women are purely social constructs. Right. And that a male can be a woman and a female can be a man. Um, and that these are just social constructs. And simultaneously, we're also supposed to believe when convenient that men and women are exactly the same. We have the exact That's same right. brains, the exact same interests, the same physicality, the same everything. So we're supposed to believe that we're we're different, but we're the same, but men and women don't really even exist and that there's other things outside of this, depending on That's how right. you feel. And it's utterly deranging because all of these things cannot simultaneously be true and correct, but depending on the moment... Right. There are certain moments where you're supposed to pretend like, OK, men and women are just the same and a woman can do everything a man can do and so on. Three seconds later, you're supposed to go back to the sort of old school traditional approach and chivalry and, you know, men, right. you know, women and children first, you know, men fight in the wars and do this and that. Oh, also, yeah, but men can compete in women's sports as long as he says he's it. It doesn't make That's sense. Right. It's complete. It's completely incoherent. And the people who even propagate these ideas are not able to articulate how these things all fit together, right? They just, as soon as you ask sure. them a question, it's just shut up, don't be a bigot, you know, call you transphobic, call you sexist, call you mis whatever they can yeah, call straw you. man. Yep. Yeah, right. whatever they can call you to shut you up. And it's, um, when it comes to something like the military, it's got very real consequences. And I, you know, I'm from the UK, but I also think that, and I've made this point before, that the actual foreign enemies of the USA must be looking at these woke military ads and yep. some of these recruitment campaigns and some just some of the nonsense where the pronoun campaigns, whatever. Yep. They must just be looking at this and just going, okay, wow, okay. Uh, it's laughable. They're, yeah, it's they're, laughable. they're looking weak right there. And in this issue, it goes deeper than just being something that's annoying and silly. It's like, well, that's a national security threat. That's an international security threat. I think that I mean, maybe someone might think I'm crazy, but I don't think it's pure coincidence that China and Russia are making more aggressive moves in the world right now, That's as opposed to them doing these things earlier, because it's it's just looking weak. We're not. Yeah, we're not fearful when we're when we are the jester, right? When we are the mm. when we're the clown, um, the, there is no respect. And if there's no respect, there's no fear. And if there's no fear then there's no there's no lines that can't be crossed. And we see that, right? We see that when we pulled our troops out of, out of Afghanistan and, um, you know, we essentially the Taliban, you know, directed for us what to do um, because they don't fear us. Um, the same is happening with Russia right now with Ukraine. No fear. Uh, China. Right. I mean, so we see it. There, there are consequences. But going back to what you were saying, that's right. These these incompatible beliefs. Right. It's like, how can I believe this while simultaneously believing that? Essentially, what's happening is that progressives and the left 
um, are sawing off the branch they're sitting on at all times, right? So mm -hmm. we say at one moment, um, it, you know, yeah, men oppress women and they're abusive and they they shouldn't be that way. And yet we turn around and say, but actually there's no difference between them. And, you know, they're, they're not stronger. We're all equal. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. What even but, is a woman? What is a man? We can't even define it any longer. So, yeah, but here's where that comes from, though. That's a symptom. The root is we've moved away from objective truth. The, the, the root is we've moved away from that which God has revealed, not just through the scriptures, but through natural law, mm -hmm. right? Through the natural order of things, we deny reality. And here's the thing about denying reality. It will punish you at some point. The, the more you live in opposition to reality, it will punish you mm -hmm. and it does, because it doesn't care what you think is true. Uh, yes. It doesn't it doesn't go for my truth. It, right. It's just reality. So if I jump off a bridge and I say, you know, I'm going to fly because my truth is, is I have wings. Mm -hmm. Gravity doesn't care. Yes. Gravity doesn't care. It will punish me. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is a society that's being punished for living as if gravity is not true or as if the things around us are not true. And we're getting the consequences of that. For real. I mean, you can, you can deny reality, but you can't deny the consequences of denying reality. That's right. Do you think it's uh, as, a, as a man of faith, as a pastor, are you intrigued by the fact that this denial of reality is primarily being pushed by people who are not religious and people who claim to be rooted purely in science and rationality and so on. I remember back in the 90s and even in the 2000s, oh, yeah. a lot of the so-called new atheist movement that and a, right. a popular notion was that, okay, if we can get away, if we can get people away from magic thinking, right? If we can get people away from any type yeah. of theology or religion or old superstition or tradition or anything like that, human beings will just become these hyper scientific, super rational and logical and reasonable beings. And I'm seeing the complete opposite of this. I'm not aware of any person of strong faith of any main religion yeah. who believes that men can get pregnant or women can have penises or That's right. any of this other stuff. So it's kind of interesting how with this secularization, rather than leading to an increase in logic and rationality and reason yep. it's re it's leading to what i what i call a rise of secular religion or secular ideology and that might sound yep. like an oxymoron to someone but no, people are creating their own doctrines and their own dogma and their own structures without the beneficial parts of religion <laughs> they're, they're yeah. sort of creating these new edifices you people are doing it again yeah, past two and science you know the science follow the science trust the experts follow the science and <laughs> right. there's no that means don't ask any questions yeah, right. follow the dogma you're not allowed to you know and, and that's very anti-scientific so what do you think is going on there I think what is going on is, I mean, there's been atheists for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? The Enlightenment period, right? Since, I mean, there's been atheists forever, but um, here's what's happened. Uh, the Western world was established on Judeo-Christian principles and values. And everything that we enjoy from um, education, uh, right, from science, all of these things stemmed from that bedrock and that foundation. Well, what's happened now is we're further downstream and what we've done is we still want the values, but we've moved away from the foundation. So we, we no longer uh, ground these things that we say must happen. 
in objective realities or in truth. So let me give you an example. Uh, I was talking to an atheist, um, you know, about uh, about our country. And I said, you know, I think it's um, I think we have a great country. It's not a perfect country, but it's a it's a great country. There's a reason why people want to immigrate here. Uh, there's a reason why people flee other countries to come to this one. So something's right and something's good. And he said, well, I don't know how you could even say you like this country when, you know, we we took it from the Indians and we killed and we slaughtered. And and, and he's just going on about the injustice done to the Native Americans. And, and I knew he was an atheist. Right. And so I just asked him, I was setting him up. I just asked him, I said, let me ask you this. Who, why do you care? Why do you care about what happens to Native Americans? Why do you care? Um, and he's just looking at me incredulously like, what do you mean? Why do I care? I said, why do you care? I mean, if the strong eat the weak, you say the strong eat the weak, only it's survival of the fittest. The truth is, is they just weren't strong. They were the weak. We ate them up. We took over. We dominated. And, and according to your worldview, you say that that is what's right. And that's what that's what is. That's what happens. Mm. And in other words, you're living inconsistent with your own worldview as an atheist when you demand justice. Where do you get justice in a world where there is no God and it's every man for themselves and it's survival of the fittest. You, you don't get justice. You just get what is it, You know, if I want to, if I am stronger than you and I want to dominate you sexually, if I want to oppress you, where do you smuggle in a morality? If you're an atheist, where do you get to smuggle in a, you can't do that, or you ought not do that. You can't, but here's what you're doing. You're borrowing from the foundation of Judeo-Christian values. What you're doing is you're stepping back into my worldview in order to say, hey, justice, because you don't have the foundations for that in your own worldview. And I think if you actually look at the landscape, you can trace that to everything. You can trace that to everything. You can trace it to every cry for justice. You can trace it for every moral uh, claim that people make, but they can't ground it to any objective truth. So why do I think the inconsistencies are happening everywhere? It's because we're further and further from those foundations. So we get more nonsensical as we go. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that's, that's the problem. Yeah, I, I've used the analogy before of a boat, you know, losing its anchor and just, just becoming unmoored and floating away and how long can it float away for before you know for a while okay it's 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 close to the it's close to the shore and it's it's yeah. there and it's not it's not directly tethered to anything or it, the rope is fraying but at some point it just blows off and you know the wind is just taking it and the waves are just taking it and where does that lead to right it's it's you you still it's it's like a tree without having the roots you need to have the roots and right. whether or not people individually believe in God or follow a particular religion, you can't deny history and the source of certain beliefs, ideas, and traditions, which by the way, very clearly, it took a long time to be implemented in the way that they should be. Something as simple as treating people That's fairly right. and equally, right? All men being created equally under God and everyone should be treated equally. Um, it's a, you know, a ra radical, radical Christian notion and the people who founded even a country as wonderful as the USA, we are all aware, regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, you can't deny if you're honest that there were some very obvious hypocrisies between what was written down on the piece of paper versus how people were behaving right. and That's what right. they were supporting and so on. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because I, I think we're, we're living in this experimental time in many ways, 
I think we're living in an experimental time with with technology and the internet and social media and smartphones and all of that. We're also living in an experimental time where we're you know, society's trying to run off the fumes of Christianity and sort of keep some of it, but right. also push it out there and attack it in this way and twist it to conform to the modern era. You know, you've got now so-called progressive Christianity, which I personally think is worse than atheism. Um, exactly. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't preserve anything uniquely Christian at all. It might as well not be. No, yeah. it just, it just undermines the whole thing. So it, it's really interesting to see where it goes because over the past few decades, especially over the past eight or nine years, I'm really seeing this fracturing and it seems clear to me yes. that human beings are whether or not someone believes in just you know a pure atheistic secular view of just pure evolution yep. or a more religious type of thinking it seems clear to me that human beings are essentially religious creatures always right human always. beings are religious creatures there's something within us that seeks purpose and meaning and community a sense of up and down a sense of orientation morality right. ethics a way to live so on and so forth and many, many people, millions of people are trying to replace that right now. They're trying to replace it with all sorts of different ideas and different isms and schisms and right. ways of doing things. And they're, they're, they don't like or are intimidated by the concept of God or traditional religion. But at the same time, many people, not all people, but many people are falling into new dogmas, essentially. Well, think about it. I mean, the secular progressives in our culture are very religious in how they're going about. They're, they yeah. have a they have a theology and a doctrine mm -hmm. uh, very clearly. They mm -hmm. have evangelists and prophets, right, and people who are preaching that doctrine. Yes. You are a heretic if you don't follow that doctrine, and you can be excommunicated if yeah. you keep speaking out against it. Right? You can be canceled. So there, we are absolutely religious creatures. Every one of us. It's not. It's not a matter of whether we will. It's which. Which which God will we worship? <laughs> right. And sometimes it's the God of self. Right. Sometimes we are. It's the God of self that rules in the land. Uh, but there will be a God who rules the land. Now, now, think about this. You brought up the slavery issue and Christians, you know, living inconsistent. And so, so this is what's interesting is if you have an atheist and a Christian standing beside each other and the atheist wants to see slavery end and the Christian is given arguments for keeping slavery. The question is, is which one is living inconsistent with their worldview? Mm -hmm. The answer is both. They're both living inconsistent with their worldview. The atheist wanting the end of slavery doesn't have a grounding for wanting to end slavery. They don't have a grounding. According to their worldview, slavery exists because that's Would, the weakness. Do you think that's is that is that fair? I'm always concerned about I don't want to I don't like to uh straw man other people's positions, but I don't know. Well, if that's I would a, say well, I, think, here's I feel like that's kind of a worst possible interpretation. Well, I don't think so for this reason, because the question would be on what basis, by what standard does the atheist say that slavery should end? By what standard? Whatever standard they give, if it's not consistent with what atheism claims, right, that there is no God, it's a material world, the strong eat the weak, survival of the fittest, where do you get a, a justification for saying this, though, ought not to happen? I don't know. I don't believe that all... I, I wouldn't jump from again. I'm 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 using the principle of charity here. 
Sure. I, I wouldn't jump from an atheist believing that there is no God or higher being to them jumping to think that it's that therefore the world is and should be as simple as the strong eat the weak and survival of the fittest. I oh, think no, from no, a, no. from a, yeah, okay, yeah. From, from a hard evolutionary perspective across all different species, they may think that, but within, within human beings and the way that we treat each other and even the planet and other people, I, I think that's a little bit of a straw man of no, how well, most people here's think. the thing though. I agree with you. What, where I'm, what I'm driving at is mm -hmm. I'm not saying they don't live different than that. What I'm saying is, is they can't ultimately ground it to their starting premises. That's, that's the point is they mm -hmm. can't, they can act differently. What I'm saying is they're not acting consistently. They're not acting consistently. That that's the issue I'm driving at. I'm not I get, saying I get what you mean. There's nicer atheists than there are Christians out there. You can mm -hmm. find them. That's yeah. not hard. The, the point I'm making is who's living most consistent with their starting premises. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, I get it. And, and so at the end of the day, though, um, the Christian who is arguing for slavery is not being a right representation mm -hmm. of his starting premises. That So that's where I was driving back to is, yes, you can find examples of bad Christians. The problem is that they're not being consistent with what they claim. Um, so so I, I think that's a that's a, a real thing too. And it undermines uh, the mm -hmm. message. Right. But going back even to the question that you were, you were asking or raising about, you know, why are we here today? Um, or even the shift that happened right. Seven years ago and progressive Christians and uh, what's, what's going on, right. Things are very unsettled. Um, when I was at Vanderbilt divinity, uh, I went because the online uh, seminary uh, wasn't very prominent back in 2007 um, I was married. I was pastoring a church. I had children. My oldest uh, needed to be close to a hospital that we were at. And so there was no moving for me. And so I had a professor say, you should go to Vanderbilt Divinity School. And I had no idea what I was walking into. It was a complete progressive, liberal, just everything you could imagine. And, you know, LGBTQ plus issues were the air you breathe. It wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't something they were trying to teach you about. It was just a given. Like, yeah, uh, transgender issues, a given. Um, white people are inherently racist, CRT, a given. This was in the halls of Vanderbilt in 2007. Okay. Now, when I left Vanderbilt, I left a year and a half after. I was like, I, just can't, I can't do this anymore. This is absolutely <laughs> insanity. So I left, and um, I didn't hear any of the things that I heard in the halls of Vanderbilt, in the classrooms of Vanderbilt, ever said in the evangelical circles. I never heard one person write, talk, preach about these kind of things. And then in 2015, uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, when Michael Brown was shot, the everything's everything switched. And, mm. and I and, and here's what happened. What happened in 2015 was that all of the things that used to stay very secluded in the halls of academia spilled out into pop culture through the media. Um, your favorite musicians and entertainers and athletes, everybody started talking the same way about race, about justice. Justice was no longer about what is right or wrong. What are the facts? Now justice was what is the outcome that we want? And if we don't get it, that's injustice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of these things. And then I started hearing evangelicals talk like that. And I'm like, no, 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 guys, 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 guys. This is, you do not want to go this route. This is not new. Um, you sound just like the people that I left at Vanderbilt eight years ago. Yes. And these are people who are supposed to be solid, right? Solid, biblical, grounded people. 
and now they just adopted. And, and so here's what I think has happened. The culture has been way better than the church at catechizing people on how to think about these issues. Mm. That's they a great dis- way to put it. They've discipled the culture. Yeah. Um, and, and as a result of that, it is shaped. So people can claim to be Christian, but it seems very detached from their thinking processes. Um, it's informing them how to think the culture is. So mm-hmm. the culture has creeds, just like the church has creeds, right? Love is love, right? Me too. Black lives matter. These are creeds that are embedded into the culture and they're a dogma. Mm-hmm. And so when you see that begin to take shape in the school systems, in our social media platforms, everywhere you turn, don't think that Christians aren't being affected by that. And, and that's a big part of what I spend a lot of my time trying to do is to say, I'm waving the flag to go, guys, this is unhealthy thinking. This is not, it's not true. It's not biblical, but it's actually not good for flourishing. This doesn't lead to a healthy society. And, it, and you can see the fruit of that right now. For real. Tell me more about your journey to Christ. Yeah. So a big part of that happened uh, when I went to the army. Um, like I said, there were kind of three things that converged. My wife became a Christian. Um, and I kind of, you know, I kind of gave her the like, oh, that's cute. You know, I, I went to church a couple of times when I was a kid, you know, with my grandma, you know, so it was like, I, I, I thought like, yeah, it's a good, that's a good thing to do. That's a, you know, no, celebrate that. But of course I was doing that with a hangover, uh, in my barracks, you know? Um, so th- that was one thing that happened. Another thing that happened was I had a, a friend who was from Boston who became like a, a, a big brother to me. He was a few years older than me. Um, he loved to read. Like he was a dude's dude, but he liked to read. And I didn't even read my school assignments in school. You know And I'm like? This dude reads on purpose. <laughs> and, and so I started reading. He, he had me, uh, we started reading history and um, all these types of things. Well, somebody recommended to him, you ought to read this new book. Um, everybody's talking about called left behind. Now I've got so many problems with that book now. I mean, I think, the theology behind uh, left behind is, is is not accurate. However, uh, the Lord used that book to really cause me to take some inventory. Um, you know, I was getting drunk regularly. I was I was miserable in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was living honestly, Zuby. This has been something that's continued to follow me. I, I was living seeking what would make people pleased with me. I wanted people to wanted people to like me, approve of me. And what I've learned is this, if, if that's driving you, you'll become a chameleon. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you'll become a chameleon. And, and what you'll do is you'll change what you believe or, or what, you, what you think or what your convictions are to match what will be acceptable. And so I think, side note, that's a big part of our culture today. And for Christians, they want to be liked and they want to mm-hmm. be accepted by the culture. And right now, believing basic Christian things will not get you that. You don't even have to be offensive to be to be an offense. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, so, so I started reading that book and it really kind of just, uh, you know, I took inventory. I recognized I was not following Christ. I had no understanding of what it meant to do that. Always this thought, believe the right things, behave the right ways. And that's kind of the, that's the message. And I started to realize, no, that's not the message. You know, Jesus is King. Uh, but, but he calls us to a relationship to live with him as King and to live for his kingdom and so those things all begin to converge between wife and reading that book. And I started reading the Bible on my own for the first time, instead of what everybody told me about the Bible. And I was amazed at the things I saw there. I was like, wow, like this has always been there. I just, I've never seen that. And those things kind of converged. And uh, I remember one night I just kind of threw myself in the bed. I was like, 
Lord, I don't know. I don't know a lot of things, but <laughs> I know I need you. I know my life is a, a wreck. I'm broken. So I got to a point where all these things were converging and um, I, my heart was just burdened. And I knew that I needed um, I needed to get right with God. I needed to deal with some things in my life. And and so there was a, a moment one night I, I remember um, very vividly. Uh, I, I laid down on the bed. I was, you know, I had tears in my eyes and I was I'm not an overly emotional person, but I just I knew um, I was broken and I knew that I couldn't fix myself. And I just said, Lord, I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know all the things. I don't even know what to say in some ways right now, but I know I need you. I know that you're the one who forgives sinners and redeems men. And, um, you know, and I need that. And so I cried out. And from that day on, my, my life changed uh, significantly. It wasn't like overnight. It's like I was in the army. So it's not like I didn't wake up the next day and still cuss like a sailor, and, <laughs> you know, but but here's what happened, though. What what happened is, you know, I didn't like stop drinking. I didn't stop. But but there was a seed planted. Right. There was some yeast in the dough. And, and all of a sudden it started to, to permeate, started to shift how I felt about things and how I thought about things. And um, obviously I was beginning to read the Bible and begin to think differently. And, uh, you know, so these things begin to happen. And eventually, you know, my passion was, is I can't believe I didn't see this. You know, I didn't know this stuff. And, you know, I would read the Bible and, and actually be like, man, this has always been there. You know, like mm. I didn't. And so my desire to help others to see it really kind of grew. And that's eventually how I became what I never thought I'd be a pastor planning a church. I was 25 planning a church. And, um, you know, the Lord has blessed that a lot. And, and I'm thankful for that. But it was never on my radar. And then a, a couple of years ago, um, starting the Knowing Jesus Ministries, which was really about producing resources for Christians outside of my church to help them to know the Lord, to develop a theology to develop a theology of suffering. That was a, another a big piece of our story. And then obviously walking uh, through life and culture issues and how to stay the course uh, through those. That was the heart of starting the ministry. Mm -hmm. Now that's a, that's a very powerful story. What was the, what was the hardest part? What did you struggle with the most during those, during those years, during that time? I really think people pleasing um, you know, what will all my friends think about me? What about the people I grew up with when they, when they found out I, I became a pastor? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all those types of things. Um, I struggled with that. I really did. I, I wanted acceptance. You know, I think about Galatians 1.10, where Paul says, you know, if I was living to please people, I couldn't be a servant of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the reason he says that is because ultimately you, you're going to give your life to pleasing somebody. And, and so the question is, is are you going to live a life that seeks to please the Lord, no matter what that means he calls you to do? Or are you going to live for the pleasure and approval of everyone else, which may lead you away from what pleases the Lord? So you can't mm -hmm. do both. You mm -hmm. have to just choose who am I going to live for, right? Under who, under whose watching eye am I living to please? And yes. I think for me, that was the biggest grapple, you know, the biggest wrestling match I had to deal with. Awesome, man. And then... So at this point, were you, you were married already at, at this point? I got married shortly after. Yeah, okay. I got married uh, about a year and a half later. Okay. How did you meet your wife? We grew up together. We went to school okay. from the time we were junior high all the way through, but never dated at all until I went to the army, the most inconvenient of, of a path we could have taken. <laughs> <laughs> we lived eight hours apart from each other. It was like, why did we do this? What, what yeah. happened here? That's funny. Yeah. And, um, 
So you've had three kids. I know you mentioned briefly and you mentioned before the call that you lost, you lost your son. Yes. Yes. Can you tell me, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this, this has been a big part of our journey and really what has shaped who we are, honestly, and shaped who I am today. Um, We found out that my son had a medical issue when he was still in the womb. He had a bad kidney. Um, It had cysts on it that, um, it was going to cause issues and they they were going to have to take it out once he was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the imaging showed that he had a healthy kidney. So, uh, you know, ideally take the bad kidney out, live with the perfectly good kidney and no issues should emerge. That's the theory. Mm-hmm. And he had surgery after he was uh, two months old. He was born premature. Uh, they tried to get him healthy, get him a little bit bigger uh, to take the kidney out. But when they took uh, the bad kidney out, they accidentally took his good kidney with his bad kidney. Oh, no way. So it was a massive uh, mistake. And um, as a result of that, you know, it turned everything upside down for us. Our lives were flipped upside down and we were uncertain about, you know, what that would mean for him. And doctors gave us the option to, to do nothing, you know, which would mean he would die shortly after or to try to do some things at that point in time they had never done on a kid his size. So it, so it was just, just an error. They just messed up. So what what had happened was, is he had what's called a horseshoe kidney. Um, So for people who are maybe listening, think about putting your your fist together and connecting your pinky fingers. So his, his, you know, my fist are the kidneys. They were connected to each other uh, that way, but they were also folded. So if you imagine that my fists are connected by my pinky fingers and then they fold together on top of each other, when they went in to get his kidney and he turned the kidneys to the side, all they saw was the kidney with the cyst on it. And okay. when they took it, when they took it, they didn't realize there were two kidneys there oh. together. And so as a result of that, I mean, Zuby, I became a, an expert on kidneys, but yeah, beforehand, I beforehand, I didn't, I was like, is, I know that's bad, but how bad is it? Yeah. You know, like I didn't know um, just how important. And so for the next two years, he would be on dialysis. Um, he was just little, little bitty. He would go into the hospital for three hours a pop uh, every other day. And eventually he got a kidney transplant from my wife when he was two, but, but they, they don't last forever. And you have to have drugs to keep your immune suppressed, uh, immune system suppressed mm-hmm. because that, that your body is built to attack anything foreign in it. Yes. And um, so her kidney was foreign. So they had to knock his immune system down. And as a result of that, you know, from the time he was two to 13, you know, he dealt with issues, he dealt with health issues. And um, you know, if you don't have an immune system, you're more prone to everything. And Mm -hmm. so he had respiratory issues. He had all sorts of things, but you know, from two to 13, he lived a pretty normal life other than all of that going on. Um, You know, we, we played sports, you know, we, he played T-ball, you know, he he played 2k online with his buddies and screamed at the TV, you know, he did all the things, but when he was 13 years old, um, he got sick with something called fungal meningitis and something that you and I, our immune system would have just immediately kicked off, uh, kicked out his didn't. And as a result, he ended up having a stroke. He went unconscious. Mm. He had a stroke. The meningitis was all over his brain and his his spinal cord. And when he woke up three weeks later, um, he was unable to talk. He had no motor skills that he could use any longer. And um, that began months and months and months in the hospital and rehabilitation. They were able to get rid of the meningitis and to clear it up. Um, he was able to recover some of his motor skills, but never the same. Uh, he lived in a wheelchair. He never recovered being able to talk. 
So life changed for us big time again. And again, you know, go back, all the way back to when he was two months old. That's when we started having to deal with like, where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God yeah. in the midst of pain? And, you know, what do we do? And so we had been on that journey for years. And when the stroke happened, we were, you know, it just kind of right back there again, you know, right back into here we go. We're in the fire all over yeah. again. So he ended up getting sick um, in November of 2019 and his lungs just couldn't recover. Um, he was unable to um, the medicines just his lungs were just gone. They were shot. And um, he ended up dying of respiratory failure. He was 15 years old. And, um, you know, it all stems back to that 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 surgical mistake. And so a big part of what we've had to wrestle with in the last you know 15 years is everything from understanding where God is in the midst of suffering and pain, mm -hmm. um, but also on forgiveness. How do we forgive people who have really hurt us and, and have taken something from us? And yeah. those are hard things, but this paralleled the whole time of planning the church. So it's been just a part of our lives and, and really our ministry as well. Yeah. Man, well, of course, I'm sorry to hear that. My my condolences. Yeah. Um, how how do you reconcile that? I mean, because you asked some big questions there, right? That's one of the biggest questions. That's one of the uh, biggest questions, whether people are believers yeah. or non-believers in God or any type of form of religion. Yeah. A big question is the one of suffering, right? right? Why does, you know, if there is a God, why and God is good? Why does God let children suffer? Why does right. God let and make or allow good people to go through these sort of traumatizing and difficult circumstances? So for yourself as a man and as a, a father who's yeah. been through something yeah. that unfortunate, how do you and your wife reconcile that? Yeah, well, I, I can tell you this. When it first happened, I had no, I had no previous um, teaching, grounding, theological understanding, right? I had no tools for how to make sense of this. You know, I, I think I, I was in a position that many people kind of maybe walk unconsciously of, which is, you know, if you're a good person, if you try to honor the Lord and live your life that, you know, in a way that pleases him, um, you know, he's supposed to kind of keep all these things clear. You know, you're not supposed to have the big things like that happen. That's, mm -hmm. that's other people. And, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible where that's promised, but I think we all kind of adopt it as a unspoken expectation. Yes. And so I was rocked. You know, I was rocked. It, it threw everything upside down and in turmoil for me. And I began to read the Bible. I began to read the Bible with that lens. Uh, here's the thing. When you read the Bible, when you're hurting and, and you're in pain and you're in trials, um, boy, you, you hear and see things differently. You begin to realize, man, there's actually a pretty healthy record of the people of God suffering. Mm -hmm. Um there, there's actually a long history of people who walk through trials and pain. So I, the story of Joseph caught my eye and how, you know, he went through betrayal from his brothers and Potiphar's wife lied and maligned his character, accusing him of rape. You know, he went in prison. And yet in all of this, he had done nothing. He, he was a just man. Um, and when he stood before his brothers, he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. In other words, Joseph saw this as God's at work somehow in this, and, and he was. Mm -hmm. uh, it was to put Joseph in a position of power to spare the covenant people of famine. Um, you look at the life of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? Bow the knee um, or die. And they said, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow the knee. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that stunned me. I'm like, they had a theology that said 
God has the power, but he's not obligated to save us from this. And even if he doesn't save us, we don't wave, wave our fist at him. We, we keep living faithfully. So we won't bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. Or you look at the book of Job and you see the whole book of Job is the story. It's a wager. Satan's wager is if you afflict them, they will curse you to your face because they only love you for what you give them. Mm -hmm. And God said, okay, then you can do this. You can go this far, but not further. And the end result of the book of Job is that God, God is right. Um, man can love God for God and not simply for God's provisions or protection or blessing. Um, but Satan's wager was we only love him because, you know, he gives good things to us. If he takes that, we won't love him. You see this all through the Bible. You see affliction. You see the Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, watch her son murdered in front of her eyes. Adam mm -hmm. and Eve buried a child. Um, so this is everywhere. And, and what I started to realize is this, is that God is powerful. Uh, he can stop it, obviously. He can do whatever he wants to do. God is also loving. He loves his people. And so if we go through pain and trial and suffering in this life, even though God can save us from it, even though God loves us, then there must be reason for it that we don't know. Like the, God must be at work in ways that we don't understand. And I think the life of a Christian, the life of a person of faith is saying, I don't have to understand in order to trust you. I don't need you to give me the answers in order to humbly submit. And I don't think that's unbiblical. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Right? That's, that means that, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. So mm -hmm. trusting the Lord is the antithesis of leaning on your own understanding. Um, you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, if there's a way this cup can pass, yes. nevertheless, your will not my will be done. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a humble submission, I think, that we have to learn, which is, God, you know I don't want to be in this circumstance. And you know I don't want to bury my child. And it it grieves me and 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 my heart aches. I mean, he'd be starting his senior year right now. Yeah. But I trust you, even though I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And and I just don't think we can read the Bible and and take away this idea that God ever will give us the why on this side of things. Yes. We, we have to simply trust. And that's hard. It's really <clears throat> hard. And it's a one day at a time dependence on God. It's a one day at a time reliance on what Jesus says to Paul when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And um, it's hand to mouth every day to say, God, I need help today. Mm. And we don't like to live dependent. Honestly, Zuby, we, we like to be, we like, you know, things to be good and we want to kind of be independent. And the Christian life is the opposite of that it's learned dependence it's learned dependence and yeah. that's what suffering suffering helps make that something you have to 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 battle with i hear that no that, that that's powerful and you know it's challenging and i think it's an increasing challenge as medicine develops and science and technology and human beings in this modern era and I think this is the root of, you know, many problems and issues that we're having in our societies is that we think we can play God. Yeah. And we think that we can completely define natural law and that we can become immortal or that nobody should. I mean, it's one of the, the key takeaways I noticed of the past two and a half years. There were a lot of them, but I realized that society is people were behaving as if prior to 2020, nobody ever used to get sick or die. 
That's exactly right. Right. People were acting as if we used to be immortal. And it seemed that people were suddenly rocked by this thing that made them Terrifying. think, made them think about their own mortality and reminded them, okay, you can't just totally control nature. That's Science exactly and right. medicine cannot stop in its tracks uh, a virus, let alone a respiratory one, no matter what political policy you put in or this right. or that. That's right. Some stuff is just beyond our human control. And I think that al although people sort of know that, we've been able to ignore it for decades. We've right? been rocked like, to sleep. We've been lulled to sleep. Yes, yes. It's been it, it's been a long time since people have really had to think, oh gosh, like what about what about death? What about I, I sickness? That's right. Yes. I can die. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think that's one thing that led to a lot of the very strange and bizarre behavior. I think it was much more deeply rooted than, um, yes, of course, there's aspects of the media and politicians and whatever, but I think it was really, it really struck a core on that thing of just human mortality. Right. And what does that, what does that mean? How much are we able to control it? How much can we minimize it? What are the trade-offs that we can do or we should do and so on? And I think that times billions of people was just the perfect recipe for a lot of chaos. Yeah. So here's the thing. It didn't create a fear of death. It simply revealed how fearful yes. of death we are. Mm -hmm. And you're right on it. What it did is it showed us that, you know, we've been kind of lulled into this idea that because we've had technology advances and advances in medicine, that lifespans have increased. And, but you know, there was a time that's not that long ago where it was like death was so common yes. um, in people's lives that, you know, we rarely died in hospitals. We died in homes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we, we would bury children. Um, we lost loved ones. You know, we, it, it was so common that it was just like, yeah, this is part of life. And it actually matured us. It rounded us out because I think when you have to account for death in your life, it will shape how you live. Absolutely. It will, it will shape how you live. And when we put death uh, kind of out of our mind and we live under this illusion that it's like, yeah, one day that's going to happen, but it's going to be like one day way down the road. And all of a sudden this virus presented itself as something that completely could bust that narrative. And, and truthfully, there were people who were young and healthy and who died. Now that wasn't the norm, mm -hmm. right? That was, that were, that was kind of the exception to the rule. Most had conditions. Most were not healthy. Most were older, mm -hmm. but Here's what it did, though. The, even the threat that anybody was susceptible just paralyzed people with fear, yes. which is why the government could say you need to take your medicine and here's what you need to do. And people just turn their brains off and said, well, I'm going to do it because mm -hmm. the most important thing that I can do in life is to keep living. And, and <laughs> do you know what's so interesting about that, though, is people stopped living. That's exactly right. People in order to keep living, because they gave the up the things that make life matter. That's yes, right. for the fear of death, people stopped living. It's it's a real thing. And some people would rather keep living um, while basically living in a six by eight cell, it, it, mm. you know, at best, um, because they're so confined by all the things around them. I would rather, I'd rather live and enjoy the things of life and uh, family and all those things and be at risk of death. Here's what we lost sight of. Everything you do is a risk calculation. Everything, mm -hmm. and um, and and you know you don't live life un unneedfully risky uh, all the time. But there are things that you say, you know what? It's worth flying across the country to go see these people that I love, even though there's a risk. Travel's yes. dangerous, and this could happen. 
but we always factor those things in. What COVID did is it made us look, uh, think about uh, any risk you take at all is stupid and unmerited. And it's like, yes, that's, that's asinine. That's and should be, and should be prohibited as a result. Prohibited at all costs. And so it just revealed, again, we've lost the plot. Um, Mm. We've lost the plot about what matters and what actually makes flourishing in life happen. Yes. So with all these things that we've, that we've discussed and many more, how do you feel about the general societal and cultural trajectory of number one, the United States of America, and number two, the wider Western world? Do you feel optimistic? Do you feel pessimistic? Is it a combination? How do you feel about that? I don't feel optimistic. Um, I am, I'm a natural optimist, uh, but I'm not very optimistic. However, there are glimpses of things. And I think you would say, say this as well, because you, you are in circles where you would see that not everybody, not everybody is simply going along. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody is simply uh, adopting the cultural you know, milieu and just saying, yep, that's, that's what's true. That's what's right. Uh, there are people beginning to raise their hand and say, hold on a minute. This is this doesn't make sense, or this is not consistent, or this is this is not good. Mm-hmm. And I think I think what that gives me encouragement on um, is that there may be people who are willing to start vocalizing dissent. Um, I, I think from a Christian perspective, um, I think the church has been weak and feckless um, in a time where it needs to be strong and vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the church. Um, needs to be willing to speak out about what is good, what is beautiful, what is true. These are the that triad is the has long been uh, you know the Western culture, the Western world's basis of value, and 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 we've got to speak to these things. And when things are nonsensical, we've got to call them that, and we got to we got to talk about why that is. And so I think there's two things. I think we need to be willing to speak out against things that are are wrong, but I think we also need to have a counter message that says you know, here is what's good. Yes. Here's what brings flourishing. This is what will bring joy to your life. Um, being healthy is not just good when you look in the mirror. Being healthy actually helps you enjoy the life you live. And mm-hmm. like, we need to talk about these things. And um, and so I think there's two things. One, I, I don't love the trajectory the culture as a whole is on. I, I think it's growing more and more nonsensical every day, more and more contradictory. However, I think as radical as it gets, it might wake more people, more sensible people up to say, this is off. And I think when that happens, there's got to be voices out there, right, from the church and even allies uh, yes. of the truth. I wouldn't even say just the church. It's mm-hmm. allies of what is true. Um, need to to lock arms to say there's a better way. Yes. There's a better way. And, and begin to talk about that. That's going to require courage mm-hmm. because not everybody's going to love that. Um, it, you got to have some backbone to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Um and, and but also think too. It means developing convictions. Don't just go with the flow. You've got to develop some convictions. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I I said a few years ago, and I'm I'm seeing this really happening, and I think it's going to this trend is going to continue over the next decade. One of my big predictions for the next ten to twenty years is that you're going to increasingly see strange alliances. Yes. Right. I think that you're seeing this split happening between people who even believe in 
reality and some sort of objective facts and reality and the truth rather than his truth and her truth and my That's truth right. and your truth and so on. And as a result, you're going to see strange alliances happening. You're seeing alliances yeah. happening with people who are more conservative and right-leaning and people who are sane liberals or yep. sane progressives, people who don't buy into all the gender ideology stuff and the, the woke stuff. J.K. Rowling would be a perfect yes, example of you're that. You're seeing yeah. alliances with, with uh, conservatives and religious people and people who are very strong feminists, like radical, traditional, old yep. school feminists who traditionally would have been very much lefties, but they're seeing the way that the trans ideology and all of the um, excessives, how all the excesses of that are hurting women in sports, in yep. prisons, in schools, in private places, changing rooms and spas and so on. And you're going to just, I think you're increasingly going to see these alliances of people who maybe 10 or 20 years ago thought that they had very little in common and perhaps maybe even saw each other as these ideological opponents and maybe still are in some regards. That's right, on certain gonna, things. Yeah. yeah, right. But they're going to put that down and realize, okay, wait, hang on. There is a much bigger, there's a much bigger threat here to our entire civilization. This whole thing That's is right. going to come apart if we cannot remore this to some type of objective reality. And, you know, we may have disagreements on all these other things and all these other ideas about the, the nature of man and the source of morality and yep. how we all got to be here and so on. But if we don't write this ship, if we don't unite together and write this ship, you know, and to we didn't even mention your know, children, right? Children are under assault right. right now. That's right? right. Children are being exposed to things and having stuff pushed on them that, again, 10 years ago, regardless of where someone sat politically, people would say, right. no, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't have strippers and drag queens dancing for four year olds, right? You don't need to be Seems pretty basic. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to be conservative, right? You don't need to be conservative and say, you know what? I don't think a four year old should be, you know, I don't think four-year-olds, I don't think a nine-year-old should have a double mastectomy and be put right. on hormones or have puberty blockers. And so like, not controversial, but all of a sudden it's become so. So I think that the harder that radical agenda pushes, yeah, the more it's going to wake people up and cause people to speak out when they start seeing people, oh, wow, okay, wait, my ch child is going to school and they're, they're learning what you're trying to, you're, you're doing what in my community, you're pushing this. I think they're crossing certain lines that are flashing up red lights for people. Absolutely. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, it's, it's a shame it even has to come to that. But well, um, I think well, that's what's here's happening. what's, well, here's what's got to happen. And so as these, as these strange bedfellows come together, what, what's going to make us distinguish from what's happening right now is that we'll, we'll actually be tethered to reality, right? Um, what's happening a lot in our world right now is that people want, um, we talk about empathy, right? People want you to be empathetic, mm -hmm. which means if what this, what that means in our culture right now is, is if I feel a certain way, I feel that I'm really, you know, a woman and I really feel like I am a 60 year old woman and you're looking mm -hmm. at me and you know, I'm not what, what, what cultural empathy says is you can't correct that. You, you just need to simply empathize with me. You need to join me in affirming me and in all these things. Well, here's the thing. That's not loving to our neighbor to to affirm lies about people and about reality is not is not uh, loving our neighbor. So mm -hmm. so what does it look like then to truly love our neighbor in that situation? 
well, it doesn't mean we have to dunk on them and, you know, and tell them how dumb they are or anything like that. If somebody really is genuinely feeling that way, we want to be sympathetic to them. But here's what sympathy looks like. It looks like keeping one one arm anchored to the tree of reality while we reach our hand down to try to help them and, and to try to, you know, talk with them and counsel with them. The, here's the thing. If they're drowning in quicksand, jumping into the quicksand to empathize with them mm-hmm. doesn't help them. It just means you die in the quicksand too. We have to be anchored to a reality that's fixed as we put our hands out and help people. And so I, I think that's that's one thing conservatives or, you know, regardless if you're coming to it from a natural law or a Christian standpoint or just common sense, this mm-hmm. doesn't ring true. We we have to keep ourselves anchored to reality in a world that's telling us to jump into the quicksand. Yes. I, I think that's really important. The second thing I'll mention, I don't know if you're familiar with Rod Dreher. Have you read, uh, heard of Rod Dreher? The name rings a bell, but I'm not familiar. He uh, So he's written a bunch of different stuff. He wrote something called the Benedict Option a couple years ago, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how Christians should interact with the culture. But he, he wrote a book a couple years ago called Live Not By Lies, and you would love it. It's fascinating. It captures the story um, in the Czech Republic post-Nazi um, uh, tyranny. And okay. so... So here's what happened. These folks went from Nazi tyranny to communist tyranny. Mm-hmm. It, ch- it changed over just like that. And and as he was talking, uh, there was a priest there talking to uh, his people. And this is essentially what he said. He says, we, not, we may not be able to change the minds of our oppressors. We may not be able to convince them to believe like we believe and to live in freedom and, and to convince them or persuade them of our views. Right. We may not be able to do that. Does that mean we're helpless? No, this is what he said. But here's what we can do. We can refuse to live by laws. Mm-hmm. We can refuse to live by laws. And so I would say this to listeners and to those who feel that urge to say, we've we've got to be anchored to reality. We've got to stay you know, in line with the truth because the culture is just going haywire. Here's what we can do. We can stand up and speak and we should. We should be, we should speak out. We should try to bring others along to see the truth. It's for their good to see the truth and live in line with it. But if they don't, that doesn't mean we throw our hands up and say, well, what's the use? One of the most powerful things we can do in a society that's careening off the cliff is to refuse to live by the laws propagated in that society. So so I may not be able to convince this man that he's not really a woman, but here's what I I can do. I can refuse to live the law that calls him a woman when he's really not. Okay, Amen. And I think we've got to at least do that. The name of that book is called Live Not By Laws. It is a fascinating book. I will add it to the list. Eric, man, it's been so good to talk to you. I really appreciate your insight and respect that you are tackling all of this difficult stuff. I understand that as any individual, even a pastor, you know, so many people are trying to conform to the world and avoid all criticism and avoid ever being put in, you know, saying anything that could potentially offend someone or put them in the crosshair and so on. So people are always walking on eggshells and it's not working. It's absolutely not working. I think we've both recognized that. And um, I respect the fact that you're speaking out. I love what you are doing. And where can people find you online and how can they follow your work? Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all uh, at Eric Reed, uh, E-R-I-K-R-E-E-D. Um, and if they want to go to the Knowing Jesus Ministries website, it's just KJ Men, like M-I-N Ministry, KJMen.org. 
Uh, we've got daily devotionals that are free that people can subscribe to. There's articles on all these issues, uh, LGBTQ issues, CRT issues. Um, there's sermon videos. There's all kinds of theology resources, suffering resources. And I've written a couple of books as well. Uncommon Trust, which you can find on Amazon. It's about our family story of learning to trust God through struggle. And then Hold the Line, which is the book I just released a couple of months ago on Christians not conforming um, to the world and how do we stand firm. And so they're two very short, readable books because I don't think most people read big, fat, thick theology books anymore. So I've got the everyday Joe and Jane in mind with those books. You can find them on Amazon. Awesome. Eric Reed, thanks for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Thanks, buddy. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.